0: Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. We have a treat. We have a panel episode. I'm joined with a couple of Agile Velocity enterprise coaches, Richard Dahlman and Mark Story, and then uh, uh, three folks from the the Discord server of Agile Uprising. We'll introduce the topic in a moment, but I want to meet and greet all the guests in my customary alphabetical by first name order. Say hello, where are you? Give us a little background.
1: Oh, that's me. If I'm, yeah, I can still, uh, I still know my alphabet and I'm Claudia Orozco-Gomez and I am an agile coach based in Toulouse, France. Welcome. I'll hand
2: it over to. I think it's me. I'm Mark Storey, coach with Agile Velocity and I am in Littleton, Colorado.
0: You got in snow yet, Mark?
2: Uh, There were some
3: little tiny flakes on the uh, deck yesterday morning, but that is all. That made me next. I don't know. I can go. So I'm Jonathan Schneider. I uh, actually just started a new job this week, but I am a director of transformation over at a fintech company in Charlotte, North Carolina. So welcome.
1: Very fancy.
3: Hi, I'm uh,
4: Mike Cadell. I live in the Atlanta metro area. I uh, go by various titles and and uh, names, Agile Coach, whatever. Um, I'm, I think of myself just as somebody who um, likes to ask questions and help people.
5: Sweet. Hi, I'm Richard Dolman. I'm an Enterprise Agility Coach with Agile Velocity as well. I live just a bit south of Mark in Sedalia, Colorado. So it's a, a beautiful day here in Colorado and... Uh, I love nothing more than having these conversations with Andy and others for the Agile Uprising podcast. Mm-hmm.
0: So the 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 seed that started this was a idea that, Richard, you put into our, our backlog, write a blog post about transformations, pros and cons of centralized versus decentralized. We put it out to the Discord server who's interested and lots of hands came up and those folks are here and we'll... Introduce our our user story and some acceptance criteria. It may turn out to be actually an epic um, based on the size of it. But here's a challenge. Can we talk about the topic without using the big A and the big T word? Can we talk about agile transformations without actually calling them agile transformations? Because those words, what the hell do they mean anyway? Nobody knows anymore. So Richard, without much further ado, what, what's our current play product owner for a moment and um, we're in refinement here with the, the delivery
5: team. What's the user story? What's the conversation we have? So yeah the user story that, that we started working with uh, was something along the lines of you know as a technology leader, you know I'd like to get a better understanding of how best my organization can start to build agility. Um, into the way that we're doing so that we can uh, be more informed about our decision making and know how to get there based on where we are now, like the, from here. And in fact, the idea of the the title of pros and cons of, of centralized or decentralized transformations was one that got floated about and has created a bit of dissonance in my own mind and how I want to think about that and how I want to uh, address that question what were some of the initial acceptance criteria that you came up with so you know this first question is you know this definition of centralized or decentralized right and how do we how do we really define it and is is there in fact a clear approach from you know one perspective or the other the second aspect we talked about was well if we took a pros and cons view would that give us clarity of, uh, you know, how we can see both sides of the question, right? So we wanted to be able to, to see pros and cons of each, you know, each perspective, centralizing, there's some good and bad decentralizing as well. And then, you know, if we started in one approach, let's say if we started off being decentralized, how do you then kind of make the decision of, of where to centralize or vice versa. Yeah, those are some of the acceptance criteria that we started kicking around.
0: So conversation time, panelists. How's that initial story? Can we clarify it, refine it?
3: Do we have a clear uh, understanding of what we mean by saying centralized and decentralized? Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where
0: I would start. So let's make that one theme. So let's take this epic and break it into some features or stories. And one would be, how do we define centralized versus decentralized?
1: I'd actually like to take a step back. And um, Richard, you talked about how can we get agility built into the way we do things. If if we keep in mind with um, the challenge we had earlier, what were we meaning by agility?
2: Yeah. Well, for me,
5: I'd, I'd like to hear others' views. So Andy teased up. Can we avoid big A agile and can we avoid transformation or you know is that too loaded a word so uh, part of it is is stating it in a way for me that kind of avoids the word of transformation particularly but still you know evokes the idea of of what we
3: typically think of as a
5: transformation
3: so I mean I'll take a stab here just to stir the pot but I mean I always like to use the words while avoiding with our boundaries here, like enabling a company or organization in order to reduce friction. So that's how I kind of like to replace the T word in a way. Most people seem to align with that, but then it doesn't fully answer Claudia's question, right? It's still going to ask more details of, well, what friction and what enablement and what are are you measuring enablement? So I know that's where you're going with it, Claudia, probably.
1: Yeah, I was going to, I think Mike might um, go there if I don't, but what kind of agility?
3: Well, and I think that actually makes our persona as, as a technology leader start to expand, right? I mean, there's different types of tech leaders. There's different types of people that how they view that. So, I mean, we're all already expanding on personas, I guess, because it's going to mean different things for different leaders.
1: Well, if you're talking about leaders, we're saying here, this is a technology leader. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing in...
3: So, we got security, we have engineering, we have, you know, like there's a lot of technology leaders, right? Some have high turnover, some have retention, some have technical issues, some have people issues. It's like, so, yeah.
4: As I was listening to the description, so the a thought kind of stuck in my mind is the uh, opening words as a technology leader. Um, my, uh, I'm wondering if uh, technology leader is the right lens to look at it from. or or would we um, get more benefit by looking at this from the organization as a whole? The the organization as a whole, not just the technology part.
2: Yeah, I I think I would look at it like that and John, to your your position in in FinTech, what's the difference between a product and a technology leader? Because your product is by definition technology, so. That is correct. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
0: So beginning to to redraft it, as a leader in my organization, Mm -hmm. I'd like to understand how best, well, organization, as a leader, I'd like to understand how best my organization can change the way we do things. Get rid of the, we're going to do the agile or we're going to do the safe or the scrum. We just want to do things differently.
3: I'm going to give intent here and say, would we want to say as a people leader specifically? Because leaders come in all forms and fashions that also don't lead. Some, some leaders are just really good technical people, right, and don't lead people. So I think in this context for what we're trying to target, it's people leaders,
1: right? That would make sense if we're saying it's the way that people work together to get things done.
3: But it's not always yeah. people. That's why I was counteracting yeah. myself immediately when I said it.
2: <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of on the on the business leader in, in general, because I think that's kind of that you're trying to you're yeah. trying to set a direction for a business to be more effective in in terms of how it mm. does things.
5: just to just to add some clarity to the initial intent, right? So the initial intent was was not so much to to worry about the type of leader, but it was an acknowledgement of uh, if we're, engaging a leader and the question is being asked, or the the question might be happening inside of an organization of considering taking on this change initiative, formerly known as an Agile transformation, that, the you know, who's likely to be asking that question? Who are the, who's kind of the common instigator from a leadership perspective? And part of that decision-making of the setup of that change initiative, may often come with it that question of, of, all right, who's leading it? And does it centralize in that person's part of the organization? Or is it something that's more ubiquitous? And therefore, we need to think more in a more distributed sense. Uh, so that was the original thinking there. And technology leaders tend to be the most common, you know, instigators of, of what we do, at least. But I love the idea of, of looking at it at a, at a deeper level and trying to get to the heart of what are the what are the leaders we need to be having this conversation with mm. theme five yeah and richard i'm
2: i'm kind of with you on that one that it's because there's who who does instigate it and that not is not necessarily the person who should instigate it and actually has the political capital to make something happen
3: just to add some fuel to that fire i know a lot of companies that Uh, a lot of change in trend, well, can't say it, but change initiatives, I should say, uh, come from supply chain or, you know, because it's just a dominant factor in the company. So like, it is interesting to see how technology always influences, it seems, because that's a common theme, but you're right. I think it's the political capital, the person, how they are in the company, how they culturally are, how they're viewed. Usually that's just the leader that happens to drive.
2: And, and I think one of the other areas that has tremendous influence, good or bad, is always finance because they always, you know, you talk about if you're going to change the way we're going to work, then how are we going to fund projects? And we say, oh, there are no more projects. Oh my gosh, they freak out. And so there's a lot of a lot of issues around that.
1: I think we're going to get on this later, but that'd be the revolution part instead of maybe the evolutionary bit. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love that. Here's it. As a leader, I would like to understand how best I can influence my organization to change the way we do things, so that I can support the revolution. Yeah, let's stick with that. We can always we can always make it better. I want to see if we can begin to unpack it theme by theme. Maybe we'll do a ten minute time box and lean coffee. Um, thumbs up at the end. the The first theme that came up was well. What the heck do we mean by uh, centralized and decentralized, Richard? Do you want to walk us through that theme? How it emerged for you?
5: Yeah, my my initial thinking when when I was contemplating those two terms was just based on my experience, what what I've traditionally seen. So, the centralized view for me that I've seen is uh, it's again, there's there's some technology leader most likely instigating. This change initiative. And that means that, you know, whoever that person's uh, sphere of influence is, wherever they are in the organization, that, you know, things are going to start happening in that area. And, and there, there's a whole slew of, of consequences, good and bad, that may come out of that. I've also seen versions of this being instigated by a PMO, right? So a program or a project management office decides. we've heard about this agile thing and and we need to start uh, controlling it, right? We need to make sure that everything is being, quote, implemented the way we need to. So as I first started pondering the topic, that was my own, uh, I guess, uh, questions that I was asking of uh, what does it really mean uh, and what are some examples of taking a decentralized approach versus a, a centralized approach? And very quickly, uh, and I'd like to hear everybody else's thoughts. When I was thinking from a decentralized perspective, what came to mind first was what I typically see is what we might just call kind of organic grassroots um, uprisings in an organization. So uh, teams and individuals just start doing things that make sense and start you know bringing some new way of working into their team. And next thing you know, you see all of this little grassroots, stuff happening and and all of this energy starting to be created. And it wasn't a top down, it wasn't sanctioned, but it's really got a life of its own. And then, you know, how does the organization respond to that? But that's where my brain went initially.
1: So when you say the grassroots part, um, that immediately speaks to me because I've never been part of a formal capital T transformation, but it, it just seems to make more sense because the way the way that I see that is that it would be understanding the individual context. So I'm, I'm guessing this is a larger organization. You would understand individual team context while trying to keep in mind that whole system view. So that's kind of the trap in it is yes, you're, you're thinking about very specific team context about people and personalities and the way that they work. But the trap to not fall into would be that um, kind of the local approach and, and and not getting to the whole.
3: It almost makes me think of the phrase like highly aligned and loosely coupled in a way, because we're basically trying to gain the benefits of both at the same time, but usually one is dominant to get success. You either have high decentralization, so it kind of catches on and has success and it kind of gets its foot footing or whatever you want to call it. It kind of spreads and permeates that way. But if you don't have some way of centralizing it also, you don't have that highly aligned understanding where people just starts to become more chaotic and and it grows. And then you just basically have a bunch of silos and fiefdoms of things that exist. And, and you know so you kind of have to have both in some way. And one usually does dominate to have the other one thrive. It, it's almost like a flywheel effect. One feeds the other and it kind of has to have this zen. Um, and, and that's where the coaching and other things come into play. And and this is why I said like removing friction earlier. I mean, that's basically what this is, is you want that thing to turn and be successful at the same time. But I think if, if I had to really pick on one though, that I feel like is is necessary, but always goes wrong, it's centralizing. But decentralizing is always the one that succeeds and has the most success, but then also is the one that quickly fails the most. Like, so it's, it's just funny to see them both uh, in tandem where one really can't exist without the other in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you on that, John. I think that the, like I've, I've been involved in lots of the grassroots movements, but I think there does have there has to come a point where, okay, this is working in several silos across the organization, and that is almost a trap, is that there has to be a point when it has to transition to centralize in order to scale. Otherwise, it does just remain this, this random scattering of practices where you've got teams working in different ways.
4: As you're going through the definitions, it occurred to me just a little bit differently, uh, which I find kind of interesting. When I heard decentralized, I wasn't thinking grassroots, I was thinking more autonomy with alignment. So there's local control, but um, driven uh, or inspired by a uh, more cohesive effort. And when I heard centralized, you know, maybe some PTSD from other experiences, uh, that brought for me images of very highly structured, uh, almost leaning towards imposed uniform type of, uh, uh, of approach. So, the, the, it's interestingly, those were the thoughts that were occurring to me as I heard these words and listening. Yeah, Jonathan and Mark, what you're saying really resonated for me because what, what seems like the most logical thing and what, where I've seen good results is when there's a cohesive direction. And and the ability to harness the uh, uh, the the power of the larger organization, yet giving you know kind of being agile about our agile, um, empowering individual areas to work within the alignment and the 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 guardrails, if you will. So um, as and as the organization gets more complex and the interactions of the people and the systems get more complex, then it gets even more challenging.
5: Yeah. Now, Mike, I had the same thoughts in my head, right? And so when I use the term grassroots, two things uh, followed that thought for me is number one, is uh, just to use kind of a, the bad metaphor of, of then a grass fire, right? The the accelerant to really get change happening because those are often unburdened, right? Um, there are there are less constraints because again leadership may not even know about it yet. The PMO hasn't caught on yet, so teams are free to to experiment and do things, and maybe their managers create a nice bubble for them. And so there's there's a natural accelerant to to see things start to change and start to grow organically. What I've also seen, though, is that that also might imply that there's a lack of core leadership. And so there's a ceiling potentially on, on how much growth they can really get. The other flip side of it, which is why I like having this this conversation of a pros versus cons, because there are two sides of the coin for each of these. I think we've all probably seen our share of the, the bad kind of centralized approach. But I've also seen the good side of it. I've seen very well-executed, centralized approaches because it gets that alignment. It helps provide that clarity, that compelling purpose. And the people at the team level then have that assurity, that, that, that confidence that, all right, we've got that leadership support. Now we can, we can really do these things. And I think that's an important aspect as well. And there's, there's both getting that alignment, and there's also making sure that the things that are happening at the team level on the ground are coherent, meaning they make sense. So Mark's team might be doing very different things than my team, but they're coherent in the sense that we're all kind of working toward the same you know, high-level goal.
3: I'm going to throw a phrase out there. I'm just curious real quick. Is it If I had to summarize a little bit of what you just said, would Centralize almost sustain the growth and decentralize drive the growth. Hmm. That's my two cents. I'll there you go,
1: being smart. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they nobody's gonna be able to see everyone's looks, um, but the faces just went like ah, uh,
0: that 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 does resonate.
4: Yeah, real, real quick, as Richard was, uh, was, um, Talking something uh, resonated for me, and that is that the uh, grassroots, you know, the, the the grass fire burning. Eventually, you run into systemic uh, impediments or things that um, hold you back. That you need the larger organization and maybe more of the centralized to help solve. I, you know, that's that's been a consistent experience for
2: me. Trying to add on to two of those things, there, I think that that Richard, you were talking about the, the necessity of leadership. In in that I think it both makes it okay to change the way you're working, but I think that can also it, it needs to serve two purposes, and the second one being to say it's not okay to continue working the way you're working, um, because I think there there are you know people people don't like change, and many people will fight very hard just for the sake of not changing, even though they don't understand. Um, and then, heck, I lost the train of thought on the second one. Oh, it was the other one regarding organizations like the PMO and the idea of flying under the radar of the PMO, because I think in, in too many cases the PMO serves as a purpose that can be similar to the way bad HR departments act, which is they become the department of no and the protector of the status quo, and and they can they might actually be the ones to come in and put that brush fire out.
0: Yeah. So. That's a good segue, I think, to theme two, cultural implications, right? You've got resistance to change, status quo, current identity. And so help us unpack that one a bit, Richard, and then we'll dive in and discuss cultural implications of centralized versus decentralized.
5: Yeah. So I I always like to pull up that Drucker phrase whenever I get a chance of strategy, uh, uh, culture, each strategy for breakfast. And then I like to say, well, if that's the case, then, you know, agile transformations are a virtual smorgasbord because they are fraught with cultural challenges. They're fraught with organizational challenges, political challenges, structural challenges. I think, you know, if, and I've, as a coach, I've, I've long since kind of built into my uh, consciousness and and to I guess my, my way of trying to coach others is, you know, we need to make sure that we understand, we have cultural awareness, right? So we understand who we are um, and where we are as, as an organization, as a team today. Um, And we need to have a sense on where we think we need to go in the future. And um, uh, I, for one, I'm curious about everybody else's experience here. You know, I've learned over the years that, you know, looking at bringing change about, Uh, whether it's a a so-called agile transformation or something else, bringing change into an organization and having it succeed and be sustainable and truly yield value. I mean, it's absolutely based on that cultural awareness and then being able to, to make sure we're, we're doing the right thing, given what we understand of our culture. And so I think the quote cultural implications of this are, are deep and wide. And I, I like to make sure that leadership understands how that affects the ability to succeed and the ability to actually see sustainable change. There's another podcast
0: buried in here. Um, One of our coaches, Steve Martin, I'm sorry, Dr. (laughs) Steve Martin had his PhD dissertation on the impact of culture at the beginning of a transformation and the likely probability of success. We can argue what success means, but right. He did some amazing research and uh, we'll have him on his show sometime that unpacks that, right? Different parameters, different aspects of the culture. They create either a, a, um, a fertile field or um, a toxic concrete covered waste dump that things will never grow on. So um, open, open discussion, cultural implications on both approaches.
4: I also listening to this theme, the first thought that jumped into my mind was um, how culture is really uh, is not is something that evolves over time. It's it, sometimes I hear it defined as culture is the way we do things around here. And then it's you know the, the values and the beliefs and the principles that then drive the practices. So the uh, the thought that comes to mind for me is at the outset of this, uh, this adventure, understanding the culture that's in place today is absolutely essential because if we don't, we will surely make our lives harder, maybe even shoot the whole thing in the, the foot. Um, and then um, I, I don't know if you all have had this experience, but people say, you know we're, we wanna change the culture and you know, there's accessory posters and um, rah-rahs and town halls, and those can be helpful, provided that the the actions correlate to the to, to the words. And um, uh, so, I think by being aware of culture that exists, and then deliberately in concert with the uh, leadership, moving the culture towards the desired direction bit by bit through uh, um, actions. Uh, A favorite uh, uh, example I give is people will care about what their boss asks them about. So the people who are in leadership positions, what they pay attention to, what they devote their energy, their time, their words to then influences the way people think and what those people believe in value, which then starts to slowly shift the culture. So that's kind of how it, how it occurs to me.
1: I would tend to agree with you on that, Mike, especially that first point that you made on understanding the culture. And I feel like that's, that's the biggest part of our job is really in facilitating this change is we need to understand where we've landed. Um, And then by helping teams get to where they're trying to go, there's a big element of, Clarification that needs to be made. So I don't know if, in some cases, it could be communicating the outcomes, but when the outcomes aren't necessarily clear. So when we do have people coming to say um, we want to be more agile, trying to clarify those outcomes, and once there are signs of success, communicating that and saying this is what success looks like. So we we know we're going in the right direction when we're getting something like this. So there's that bit of understanding, but also communicating what it's going to look like when it's, when it's going well without necessarily um, so taking the existing culture and not completely breaking it down because there's going to be an element of resistance if it's if, if we're trying to change the culture just because we want this transformation that's not going to make sense and it won't make sense to the people so it's taking what we have and and trying to use that to get to where we're trying to go to
4: Keep the good that's there and then add to it is kind of what
3: what it sounds like you're saying, Claudia. I was going to put a little bit of a different spin on this, which is boiling the ocean possibly, but it's important, I guess, to bring up, which is I feel like a lot of people intermingle with culture sometimes, and I use this word loosely, but religion and the beliefs that people have. And usually they are intermingled. And I think it's important to just make them distinct. And what I mean by that is is like culture is really just an encompassing body of knowledge that stays with people that evolves over time, though, year after year, and it's kind of like part of the knowledge and domain of what's happened, but religion is usually a set of beliefs and values that usually are kind of like stick around for a while, and it's so it's like it, it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit, and the reason why I want to bring this up, though, is because It is interesting to see how people respond in a culture based off what they believe in and what their upbringings are and that's why we want diversity and richness and you know it makes your everybody think uniquely and have your vast amount of uh knowledge when you have that approach but it also makes it wildly complex to even understand what is the culture here because it's all over the place and that's intentional that's intentional you want it to be diverse but you also inherently make your understanding of what is culture here, very complex to understand. So when people say, well, how's the culture changing? I mean, good, good luck measuring that. I mean, it's gonna be all over the place and that intentionally companies are trying to do that because it makes sure you target and hit everybody's um, spot of what they're, why they even show up to work, right? Is it compensation? Is it career? Is it Do you just wanna have friends? Do you wanna be included? Do you like the technology? Like everybody shows up for a different reason. And I think that's where the cultural implications get really interesting on the centralized and decentralized because decentralized, you know, they're going to have uniqueness and what the teams want versus centralized on what the outcomes are. So that's my two cents on that.
2: Yes, I guess I guess here to all of this stuff, but um, I, I think that, that culture has to be dealt with in a very intentional way. Um, you can't hope that, I mean, communicating it is great, but I, I was once in this organization where... The culture was drilled into us every single day, and we were expected to behave in a certain way. And it got to the point where, uh, when I meet somebody else who has that same experience, I know exactly what to expect from them. But it wasn't by it wasn't by accident. And so I think that's a and you actually that religion comment. Some people call what I was in a cult, but um, it's not a cult. <laughs>
5: Again, I love talking about culture. there's so much to unpack. Um, real quickly. So the idea of beliefs is is absolutely in, in my view embedded into this, right? So if in, the, in an organizational context and in a change initiative context, right, we're, we're not going to get people to change their way of working just by telling them to or by creating clever marketing posters. What we're going to be doing is creating new experiences for people. That then start to change their belief systems, which open up new possibilities. And yes, this can happen. And and yes, I can, uh, you know, I I truly am empowered, those sorts of things. So that's how I think about the belief aspect of it is, is you can't explicitly change culture, you can't explicitly change people's beliefs, but we can create experiences that then help help create that change going forward. Back to the the relevance of this topic for me is that when i'm when i'm looking at the question of should we decentralize should we centralize and what are the pros and cons is is again understanding what is our cultural kind of profile what's our norm today so for example i i lean on the competing values framework a lot um, if anybody's used that before but um, one of the dimensions uh, just to keep it simple one of the dimensions of the competing values framework um, is, is looking at the need for stability and control, the lower part of the quadrant, versus the, the need for flexibility and discretion, which is the upper part of the quadrant. And the lower part of the quadrant includes you know, what we would call traditional hierarchical command and control cultures. And if that's where we are today, well, let's, let's just own it, let's embrace it, and let's then make decisions that fit. Right. So maybe if that's our orientation is that we need as an organization, we need stability and control. Well, then having some centralization and 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 dealing with that stability and control probably makes sense so that we can move forward and not get kind of stuck in and conflicted ourselves. If our culture today is oriented around flexibility and discretion, which is like a clan culture or an adhocracy, then maybe decentralizing will make sense because again it fits to our culture today. Um, and then as we continue to progress through the change, then you know these things are going to change as well, and we need to be able to adapt as we go. I love that. So we hit the the, the ten minute time box. Let's
0: get a, a, a Roman vote going. Um, yes, audience that is listening, you can't see what we're doing. Keep going or move, kill the topic. We've got go. All right. It says, theme three, organizational structure implications. Does the current org structure enable or impede free-flowing information and learning? Let's talk about implications. Let's unpack this one some more, Richard.
5: How does it fit in with the the theme of centralized and decentralized? Very close relationship to the culture topic, I believe, but again, as I approach this part of the question, you know, I'm thinking, how rigid is the hierarchy? Is uh, is my ability to kind of go, go have a conversation up the food chain or across, across the organization, is that just naturally free-flowing? Or, you know, am I uh, unintentionally or intentionally siloed by the hierarchy? My mind also jumps to the question of scale, right? So we know that as we're scaling, you know, Hierarchy is going to exist, but how do we kind of permeate through that hierarchy and see the networks of how value actually gets delivered and who's talking to who and who do I need to go to to get this knowledge? And so um, that's complicated, if not a complex topic for me when I'm looking at an organization. Um, and and again, I sometimes feel like it's just a default reflex to say we have a hierarchy, therefore this is how things are going to be run and managed and And the reality for me that I see is that, again, just, you know, uh, information tends to flow more, you know, serpentine through an organization, not based on the hierarchy. And I think that um, I don't know the answer to this one, but I definitely think that has a particular implication when we're uh, pondering this question of, of decentralizing or centralizing
2: or how do we distribute, you know, the change that we're trying to bring about.
5: I find it a little bit
2: difficult to decouple. Uh, org structure from culture because I think that that frequently has there's yeah. such a close tie there because if you've got a culture that's high uh, really really big on command and control then people are going to be afraid to go out of their boxes um, and and try new things they're in their they're, they're going to want permission seeking mode and I think I think that would tend to inhibit uh, innovation around doing things like this. Plus one to what what Mark said, in
4: my mind, I, I really struggle to think of them separately because of the intertwining. A th- uh, thought that came to mind though, thinking about this theme is that the organization structure sometimes influences communication and um, how a change would be absorbed or, or uh, taken on board in that um, it, when it comes to, it, it comes back to language. Uh, so group that, I'm, that I identify as part of, if we're more decentralized, so more kind of independent units that um, don't have quite as heavy a matrix, in my experience, there's a tendency to be more collaborative that way, and then be more open to the type of change that uh, we're talking about here in a more heavily matrixed, more a stronger hierarchy structure of, of that organization may lend itself more towards uh, centralized where you have to work, have to, or, or better serve to work through the, the structure and the, the hierarchy to, uh, to get change flowing.
0: I'm curious in all of our travels, has there ever been an org structure that Developed organically and not decentralized. I, you know, I, I think socio, sociocracy as an alternative. At scale, at enterprise, has every org structure been a centralized imposition? and so it begs the question, if it nine out of 10 times it is, can you change it in any other way than through a centralized approach without
2: revolution?
1: So I, I can speak to that one. I am currently on a contract with a team. So not probably not the scale of this, uh, not the same scale as these types of, uh, of organizational shifts. Um, but there has been a lot of empowerment and communication of empowerment and letting teams know you can you know you can try this you can do this you can you are free to experiment um just to kind of give that impetus to to let some sort of other organization emerge uh so it, it's really slow coming but i think people are starting to understand it they're starting to get the message but then it, it comes back to what richard was saying earlier it really depends on what kind of hierarchical relationships you have. Are, is the organization that's in place, is it siloed? Do we already have people that are working together? And are they thinking product or, or value delivery, or are they just thinking, okay, I've got to get my part of the work done? So I think I kind of took us all over the place, but yeah, it, it just made me think about that. It, it is possible. It just takes a lot more time to have that organic um, organic change emerge.
3: So Andy, this one's tricky for me because to answer your question, have I ever seen it happen uh, that it's non-centralized? No. I've ever seen a hierarchy where they started to disseminate that more in a holocracy way or even, uh, no. Um, do I see that ever changing? No. But do I have seen people change that approach? Yes. And what I mean by that is, is When you see a true leader that actually represents themselves as a talent builder and people manager that puts that at their forefront in large organizations, yes, the hierarchy is still there, but it's a drastically different culture when a leader approaches it that way. So there's not all hope is lost because centralization and hierarchies are going to stick, but I do think the people's mindset and approach to it can still inform how we view the operations, if you will, or I don't know what the right word is, but how they fulfill their value as a leader, um, and that—that's just my two cents. So,
5: I mean, part of the question uh, that I want to explore here also is—is is what about the need to quote change an existing structure or introduce something new? So, there's one thing to say: Hey, we're going to flatten it, go to a holocracy approach, but. An interesting idea that I that I've seen it happen, and I'm not sure that maybe I'm I made up a story after the fact to, to uh, glamorize it. But um, again, if we go back to that original definition in the in the story of as a technology leader, I this is what I want. So, and I've seen that play out where these these so called transformations start in IT, um, and therefore they kind of get siloed to IT. Um, and I'm curious of and we've talked about is a PMO a good thing or a bad thing but what if as we're seeing that siloing happening because it started in this part of the organization it seems to be kind of stuck there um if we created a new structure into the organization that's sole purpose was to break through the hierarchy um to to start to disseminate uh change across the uh the hierarchy um, that still is a form of a structure but it's a it's like an anti-structure um and I, I would like to n- say that I've seen more examples of that but I've really only seen one or two and and again maybe I've kind of glamorized them after the fact but I'm curious has anybody seen anything like that or 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 see the potential for something to to still respect the hierarchy but cut through
3: it'll my quick comment I'll say to that is I haven't seen it really like, change drastically. I guess the comment I'll make is um, I have seen some companies and even the one I'm at is sort of doing this where instead of using the hierarchy as a direction of where leadership's coming from and how the flow of information is happening, it's more of a reference for where you are as a career growth opportunity and just structure. But they actually, whenever they say like, well, what's the structure of the company? They actually reference the operating model, not the hierarchy model. So that's one way to kind of sneak around it, but I don't know if it is really ringing the bell of what you're saying, so.
2: Yeah, I've seen it sort of once and and not at scale, but it was a shift to where the people who were managers became, I don't know if you've ever been in something where they formed a guild or a center of excellence, something like that, where we had a quality manager and, and the quality manager's job was to teach people how to be better at testing. And so that had, they worked with testers and sometimes with developers as well, but they weren't setting direction in terms of what was going, going on other than like in that case, from an architectural standpoint, what tools are gonna to be used, what kind of, you know, following the, what's happening in the industry, things like that. So there was no, but there was no setting of direction by those people in terms of what work the people on their team were doing, their teams were setting that
4: I worked in with one organization that made a very um, uh, intense effort towards this. And there was essentially revolt from within by the, by, by folks who were in management type roles, because they were, uh, they were told, well, you know, you don't really have much of a role anymore. You, you're a people manager and that's it. And um, so the, uh, the antibodies within the organ revolted against the uh, the foreign invaders, so to speak, because they were, people lost a lot of uh, influence and, and prestige. So it snapped back in less than two years.
0: Yeah, that model keeps re-emerging. There's a book on my shelf that I still yet to get through, but it, it talks about that. It came out uh, late 2018, but it talks about viruses and changing the DNA of the host, um, it's no longer um, <laughs> the top story or metaphor in my <laughs> arsenal, given current situations. Um, but, but you described it, right? Um, you're, you're trying to change structure, culture, ways of working, which is so entrenched in the, quote, DNA of the organization as an organism. Um, that either you affect real change, like a virus does in DNA, or the antibodies kick you out. Richard, do you think we can quickly do a flyby of theme four, the the, um, the feedback loops that are so precious and valuable? Sure. Uh, before
5: we wrap? Yeah, so the, the theme four, we were thinking about um, just applying what we do to help kind of answer the question and just deal with the reality of, of change of, you know, we need to observe, uh, and we need to use those observations to learn, uh, again, following OODA loop or plan, do check act type approach. So, you know, as I was thinking about the topic and just the, the simple reality of, we may not know, right. So knowing where to start and, and which approach to take, uh, bring some uncertainty with it, so we we do, and then we inspect and adapt, and, and we observe how it's working within the organization, and, and we you know hopefully do the right thing based on what those observations are, um, and you know what I'm hearing, which was again already in my head, but what I'm hearing uh, resoundingly from this great panel is right. If we're going back to the base question, then quote, the answer is both, right? Yeah, we need to apply both a centralized and a decentralized approach where it makes sense. And we need to be pragmatic about how we go about that. So, you know, maybe at the team level, right? We, we wanna encourage some de- as much decentralization as possible. Um, you know, at the overall org level, having some central vision and some compelling purpose, and maybe even a guiding coalition makes sense so that everybody understands, you know, we're all kind of working toward the same goal. And then in the middle, the system layer, you know, it's probably a mix of things, because it's quite dynamic in that space. Um, and then I also can't help thinking about just the, the, the sheer paradox that of what we face as coaches, uh, trying to help an organization change, um, while they're just trying to keep their head above water, while they're just trying to deliver and meet the demand that they have. And, and that's, that's messy, um, and so it's it's almost likely not one way or the other in my mind.
4: Yeah, I, I have to uh, can't can't argue with anything there. I, I my experience has been that a blend of centralized and decentralized is essential to success. One or the other you're, is out of balance, and the system gets out of balance, and then uh, some constraint inevitably. Uh, stops progress or, or worse sets you back. And, um, and the um, uh, you, you mentioned the OODA loops, the, those, that, that model um, really seems uh, very helpful in, in my experiences because it, it requires you to observe and orient. So kind of sense the system, if you will, the human system, you know, going back to our earlier point about culture, and understanding the culture, and using that to guide actions and and to balance the centralized where where centralization makes sense and decentralization, it, uh, it brings to mind the uh, the term autonomy with alignment. So having having the uh, a larger picture and the direction and a shared outcome that folk that the organization aligns to but then creating the conditions where in a more decentralized way, there's autonomy as you get closer to the work or, or, or even just in general, that, that's what I've seen have the best result.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that puts us at a great spot to wrap. I wanna uh, thank our esteemed panel of guests from both Agile Velocity and the Agile Uprising. Also, listening audience, if you enjoyed this episode, do a couple of things. Share it with a friend, a colleague. Send it up, down, left, right, wherever you need to go. Uh, Give us a review, a rating on your platform. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm getting interrupted by one of our guests, the swear jar. Did we not swear? Did
1: did I forget to swear on this episode? It wasn't actually about real swearing. We said we're gonna avoid agile and transformation
0: oh right how
1: how did we do did you keep score i did i think mike said one but it was in reference to avoiding using the a word the t word um we can throw in a few bad words can't we
0: yes we can
1: oh for fuck's sake
0: wouldn't be an agile podcast without what i'm discussing So anyway, yes, give us a rating, give us a review. Don't make it not safe for work because that'll get us kicked off of iTunes and uh, all those other platforms. If you'd like to join the discussion with us and maybe join in a future panel conversation to share your stories about centralized and decentralized cussing, come on over to the Discord server. There's a link on agileuprising.com. And finally support like five bucks a month. It's not that much. Well, will keep us out of jail, cover our hosting and production costs. See the show notes or agileuprising.com for more details how to become a patron. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast, signing out.